This is what podcasting does to people. One minute, you're minding your own business, and the next, you're Googling ZoomDick. I'm Sarah. I'm Robert. And welcome to Minutes 77 through 80. Which began with Nora still sitting on top of Mark, and he says, yes, I can. There's a beat as they kind of sit there, and then she crawls off of him and says, maybe we should pause for station identification. I gotta go. She leaves, and Mark is left laying in the lawn. With no shirt, by himself, breathing really hard. Yeah, it's a good visual for the audience who likes Christian Slater, but Mark here, he still, he just can't finish. He's gone from jacking off on air to being unable to finish in real life here on the lawn. And that brings me to this <laughs> week's story. Um, so what is Zoom Dick? New York staffer, or New York staff writer Jeffrey Tubin was suspended this week after he exposed himself to colleagues and WNYC employees on a video call, which really interesting here, the chat that he was in was different prominent New York writers playing various parties in a disputed election scenario that could happen. Oh, it was in that call? (laughs) Yes. I heard about that call and I heard about this. I didn't realize it was the same story. And Tubin was playing, quote unquote, the courts. That was his role in the... <laughs> but he took a little diversion for his <laughs> masturbation, and he said he thought that nobody could see him and that he was on mute for that part of the call. However, he was not. And <laughs> there were some really funny Twitter reactions to this. Just Dweck tweeted, Technically, a CNN commentator jerking off is the most accurate simulation of election <laughs> <laughs> David Cleon referring to the meeting that they were having where they're all playing pretend here says, masturbatory exercise taken a little too far. (laughs) And just brought up an also an interesting point. My favorite broadcaster, Elizabeth Cronies McLaughlin, discussed how she received messages from her subscribers telling her, quote unquote, to get control of her son when he appeared on a podcast (laughs) wanting to pet their new puppy. And moms get chastised for being unprofessional, while outside of a few of these funny tweets, thousands of posters were rushing to Jeffrey Tubin's defense and felt empathy for him immediately. <laughs> so my favorite defense of that was uh, Connor Friedersdorf, who's a staff writer at The Atlantic, who said, when Occam's razor suggests someone humiliated himself through a combo, of technological error, pandemic circumstances, bad judgment, and bad luck. It seems like we should react with empathy, politeness, and forgiveness, as we would want to be treated, rather than punitive mockery. When you say Occam's razor and then list off four things, you then get punitive mockery as well, as he did on (laughs) Twitter, and it was lovely. (laughs) Yeah, Mark, of course, on the lawn isn't masturbating, but he has pretended too many times on the air. As we continue in the film, we cut to the next morning. It fades to blue, even though it doesn't fade to a shot of the sky. It's kind of a weird fade. But in the script, we actually get a scene in Mark's bedroom in the morning. Uh, Mark stands dazed and half-dressed before the mirror in the bathroom. He can't believe his own face. His mother pokes her head in. Marta, how's the bestseller coming along? In the script, he was working on a song, not reading. 
last night. Uh, Mark says, very funny. And Marta says, Nora's beautiful, Mark, but please be careful. He rolls his eyes irritably, and she says, I'm not talking about sex, Mark. She lets him know with her look that she knows his secret. She caresses him and, ex- and exits before he can respond. Mark is perplexed. Does she know or not? The script is continuing the idea that his mother knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. Which... And seems fine with it. Yeah. Isn't part of the film at all. No. It no. seems like it's a big part of the script, this idea of... no. But I wonder so- if maybe they filmed some of it, because we have a, those couple times at the table where she is the one paying attention yeah. to Yeah. But, yeah, they cut that. Maybe they didn't want the adult to be complicit in his crimes to make it more of a teenager-centric film. And then we cut to Shep Shepard in front of the school, in front of the HHH out front. Students walking by behind him. He says, it's three days since the death of Malcolm Kaiser, and state and local officials still have little idea of the identity of this so-called hard Harry, although many are convinced he is a student at this school. We cut to students elsewhere. Because I noticed stupid things, I will point out it is not morning time, even though it's supposed to be. Aside from sunlight, which you always get in movies, it's way too bright. The trash can is overflowing. Unless their janitorial staff is currently on strike, that trash can would not be overflowing before school starts. <laughs> it would be empty. They probably filmed after school because they had to wait until the regular day was yeah. done. And we get a shot of Nora leaning on a fence again. That's where we found her last night before she went to see Mark. Nora's gradually worn a little less black and a little more purple as the movie goes on, I would point out. But also here she's wearing a brooch. It is either a leopard, a cheetah, or a giraffe, I'm not sure, with either a giant flower or a collection of grapes on the back of its head, which is the one of the weirdest pieces of jewelry I've ever seen, and I really wanted to figure out whether it was something specific that exists. Uh, I think the clothing or the outfit fashion shift is definitely purposeful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even her blazer here is more like a dark blue than a black. Exactly. She's wearing... Blue over like a lilac. I don't know if it's almost like a floral print because mm-hmm. it's like white and, and lilac. Yeah, when I saw her in that, I'm like, hey, that's something I would have worn to high school in yeah, the early it's, 90s. And it's that's definitely, kind of my style. It's definitely a deliberate costuming choice because they've also had Janie gradually look a little more militant, as the script yeah. says. Although she doesn't this in this segment. She's looking around. She actually looks at a group of students that are looking at something, which I caught my eye again because I thought maybe they were looking at some hard, hairy thing. And I paused it just right. They're looking at an art book. Seemed to be on a page with a photo of a naked woman whose head has been replaced by what looks like it might be a giant strawberry, which I thought must be some famous piece of art. Couldn't find it on Google. And now Google thinks I have something for strawberries and maybe <laughs> women, which, whatever. Wait for the ads. You'll, yeah, um, exactly. You'll get really interesting <laughs> things in your, in your feed now. But the, the key is they're just out in the middle of like the courtyard at school looking at naked women in a art book. So they're teenage boys, and she moves on. Nora looks around some more, and we get a wider shot as Mark walks up behind her. Their conversation's very brief. They both mm-hmm. say hi at the same time. Yeah, and even before the conversation, we get several seconds here, again, with, like, the it's very intimate, the mm-hmm. chemistry, and she keeps trying to speak. Like, she's moving her mouth yeah. before she speaks several times, and I thought that was... That was cool. It's like she can't. There's lots of build up to them, even. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Mark says, "You, uh, you okay?" She says, "Yeah." You? He says, "Yeah." And then we get about a minute and twenty seconds ish of nervous circling, extreme mm-hmm. close ups. They kiss, then they're walking quietly together, 
it's it's actually really nice, and we get some nice music from Cliff Martinez, who's doing the soundtrack, which I think we mentioned him but haven't talked about. Yeah, and Cliff Martinez was the drummer for the Red Hot Chili Peppers and also for Captain Beefheart. And Captain Beefheart, if anyone doesn't know who he was, kind of a jazzy, bluesy type of um, solo artist. The White Stripes and the Black Keys say that he was an influence over... <laughs> Their work, but Cliff Martinez has been a film score composer since the 90s. Pump Up the Volume was one of his first scores. Yeah, I didn't know he was doing it that long ago. Um, he is also known for Spring Breakers, The Foreigners, Contagion, Traffic, Drive, um, a bunch of different scores, but his first composing job was actually with Pee Wee's Playhouse. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> and he was inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for Red Hot Chili Peppers in 2012. His approach to scoring reflects his time in the punk scene. Um, you see stark, sparse, modern, which makes sense for Drive. I don't know if you remember much of his score there. You Yes, that's like one of that my moment. favorite soundtracks. It's, yeah, that's one. <laughs> it isn't like a bunch of songs, although there are some good songs on it too. Yeah, so his work's often used in these dark, psychological, mm -hmm. sparse type of stories. So, uh, Yeah, and this, the script tells us that Mark and Nora are psychically holding hands in the hallway bustle, which is an interesting description, which fits, actually, the way they're walking really close together, but they aren't holding hands. I would point out, because we've talked about it before, we do see a couple black students that pass by behind him, including the guy is wearing a uh, kufi, a little, the little um, hat. Mm -hmm. So he's he's showing off as his work is an extra today. Or he just wore that to school. I don't know how they arrange the extras. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that showing off is appropriate to say. That's just... No, I mean, you, you dress up. Yeah. You wear something cool. Because you want to be able to be like, yeah, that's me right there. Or, or he just dresses like that. You know, good for him. It's cool. Uh, they, they walk past uh, Talk Hard, spray-painted on the grass. And then we see the alcove. Which is covered in three large signs. One says HHH, wake up. One says the truth is a virus. And one says just HHH. And there's a lot of HHH flyers on this as well. It's funny. The whole wake up thing and how that's almost become like a meme in 2020. How initially I think it was a, a good thing. And now it's just like any white bro posts some QAnon thing on the internet. It's like, wake <laughs> up. You're all sheeple. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. Mark and Nora stop, and she says, this is deep. Your message is out there. The truth is a virus. And Mark doesn't react the same way as she does. Uh, he says, oh, God, Jesus, this whole thing is making me ill. And he immediately starts walking the other way. It's <laughs> just funny. He's just going to leave. He's not staying. He's not even going to school. But Nora follows him, and we get a really nice handheld shot through the rest of their conversation. But before we get to that conversation, in the script, it actually cuts away in the middle of it to Crestwood, Murdoch, and Deaver. Looking out a second-story window at the lawn hasn't just been spray-painted. So be it has been um, lime-burned at 30 feet in 30 feet letters. I assume they didn't want to do that to the actual school. Uh, and in the script, I mentioned last time or the time before, people running around with a bag at night, and it must have been the lime. So it says, Crestwood has had it. Crestwood says, I'm not going to allow this school to be further disrupted. Deaver says, now is not a good time, Loretta. Crestwood says, oh, stop worrying. I know what I'm doing. And then we cut back to Mark and Nora's conversation, making it much more, even more deliberate that Crestwood, what Crestwood is doing. And she knows it's a problem because Deaver's already speaking out against it. And Nora says, Mark was with you. Mark says, look, Nora, last night was a mistake. I'm not going on anymore. That's it. It's over. That's it. And Nora says, but you're so close. Close to what? 
to getting your message out. Interesting thing here. First, what does Nora think Mark's message is? Does she think there's like some specific thing he's been <laughs> trying to say? Like, isn't he getting his message out? Because his message is whatever it is when he's on the air. Like, what does she think he's not doing? Like, he it, alone it, possesses some she, truth. Well, she, yeah, she clearly <laughs> thinks that. I'm wondering if the the key here is the out because the show was supposed to go over uh, like over state lines last mm-hmm. night. And so it was supposed to be much bigger. And so whatever she thinks his message is, she thought was going to be even bigger now. And now is not the time to give up. Which, uh, but he points out, wait a sec, this is my life you're screwing around with here, you know? And she says, not anymore, it isn't. This is everyone's life, Mark. You can't leave it like this. People are confused. And that's the thing. Like, he has this feeling of clearly wanting, chasing notoriety and spreading the mm-hmm. message, which he's been doing. But once that message is out there, you can't control how it's perceived. You can't control people's reactions to it. So it's mm-hmm. like he wants the the freedom, the ability to go on and say whatever he wants, but he's not dealing with the fact very well that when you do that, people, whether it be Nora, she, she's going to react the way she reacts. His audience is going to react the way they react. People are going to think of him what they think of him, and that's the risk every time you go on the air. It's the conflict. So do you want to be heard or... Not, I don't know. Yeah, and as he says, well, so am I. You know, he's confused too. He doesn't know what he's doing because we've heard him say a couple times the show just started as him just expressing his thoughts and putting it out there. I don't think he even considered what he was doing was illegal until it was too late. Yeah, but he keeps going on, and then he keeps being upset with Nora about her cheering him on yeah. when he keeps going. So <laughs> yeah, she's uh, he walks away from starts to walk away from her some more. He's, she says, Mark, and he says, the thing's fucked up. No, it's crazy. And she says, no, the world is fucked up, just like you said. And I like this line because we've nitpicked her being the, like, it's, like, she's the muse of his. Mm-hmm. But I like that she tells him that he is the voice that he was waiting for because he was yeah. asking for someone to say something. And this is something I think he does need to hear if he's going to yeah. do anything. Is she, does, she doesn't think he's someone else. She thinks he's what he wanted, yeah. <laughs> which is important. He says, you're the voice you were waiting for. And he says, you're completely nuts. He pulls away, and the script says he runs away from her, and she regrets her intensity, which is why she says, yeah, well, you make me nuts, after he's gone. Uh, Mark is out of the frame, and I will point out here, if, you're, if you watch this moment, there's one random teenager just standing off to the right, staring at what's going on. <laughs> Bad extra work right there. That, no, that was me in high school. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or yeah, they think they're having a fight. They're like, yeah, yeah. watching the drama. Uh, in the script, we get a shot of Mark in the hallway because they're inside a school because this is written by a guy in Canada where schools have hallways. And as soon as Wait, Mark- Wait, don't schools have hallways? Some do, but it's, it was a big complaint on Michael Myers minute. Oh. I'll promote that today. Yeah. <laughs> um, that you can tell the schools aren't in Illinois because their classrooms open outside. And in Illinois, oh yeah, because it's every cold. classroom is going to open inside because you have weather that's going to affect that. You and maybe that's like why that. I'm used to schools with hallways. Because growing up in Pittsburgh, I'm like, all my schools had hallways. Well, and a lot of movies find the schools with hallways here because they yeah. want it to. I think because they want it to relate to other places. So it, we get a shot of him in the hallway, and it says, "As soon as Mark gets away from Nora, he regrets his action and he hesitates." And that's when we cut to, uh, among other teens, we see. We see Janie sitting with another girl, 
And we see Murdoch approaching with two boys with him already, who are, if you remember them, Holden, which is one of the ones in the conversation about the cock ring, and Doug, who is one of the two with the Letterman jackets who keep getting away with stuff. Although this might be Corey and not Doug. I'm not sure if there's a Corey. The script keep reference, keeps referencing a Corey. I don't know who that is. Did we mention the obvious Holden, Holden Caulfield catcher? Um, yes, I believe so. Because we did talk about his name, because he's one of the few characters that gets a last name also, and I called it racist. Because mm. they cast an Asian and then gave him the last name Chu, which is not my oh, script. Right. And so Murdoch says, oh, excuse me, young lady, would you come along with us? He's getting Janie. And there's a another weird thing for me to notice here. Mm. There's a black kid who taps Doug's arm and then runs away. Mm. And I don't know why. I'm wondering if Doug was, like, cast at the school, like he was someone who went there, and so they're just playing with him. And the director didn't notice or liked it, so left it in. And then uh, Murdoch continues, Donald, come along. Donald's sitting nearby, he gets up. Miss De Niro, you come along with us too. Nora's up by the alcove. And so she joins him, and in the movie she says, what are we being busted for? In the script she says, what are we being arrested for? Hmm. And Murdoch replies, we'll, well, we'll check your files, we'll see, come along. And Nora and Janie are really happy about this. <laughs> like they're happy to get in trouble, which is... The whole check your files thing. Yeah. Like, what does that even mean? They're round people, but they're going to check their files and find what... I don't know. It's it's a stupid thing to say because yeah. you, you don't tell them that you're finding excuses. Exactly. <laughs> Clearly, your town has a problem with teenagers speaking up and acting out. You don't tell them what's going on. And then we go to Crestwood in the main office. She's on the phone. Uh, we get more of those labels. There's something... Equals achievement. I couldn't tell what the other word is because we only see like one letter of it, I think. They have these all over this school. And she's talking to Brian, Mark's dad. She says, no, Brian, everything is under control. I've just ordered psychiatric evaluations on a couple of the key troublemakers. And I've, and he clearly interrupts. We can't tell what he says, but then she stops and says, I can do whatever I like. It's my school commissioner. No. And that's where the segment cuts off as we see behind her. Murdoch is leading the group of teenagers in to the office. So what does she think the psychiatrist is going to do? These aren't kids who have, I mean, at least any significant mental health issues that we can see. Psychiatry has been used as a weapon against people yeah. who have spoken out before, but I don't know. Does she have like an in with a psychiatrist who's going to write her some? It's just weird. But Janie and Nora will be declared hysterical. Yes, obviously, because uh, they're women. I don't remember what term you use for men. Like, oppositional defiant is a good one mm, for, for yeah. men. Just nice like antisocial, but like oppositional defiance disorder. But yeah, basically you just have her authoritarianism here and she sounds like a teenager, mostly. I can do whatever <laughs> I, I, I want. Whatever you I can like, stop yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, and talking to Brian, who's the parent. We'll get to it later, but it only occurred to me recently. I'm not sure that we ever see any of the adults realize that it's Mark. I don't think film. we've seen any so far. No, I mean later, sure. at the yeah. end. When he gets arrested, none of them are in the shop. They're off dealing with their own drama, which is a continuation of this. Is it Brian and then Emerson are realizing what's going on. So since I mentioned it, I will promote Michael Myers' minute today, where you can see the Illinois high schools with doors that open to the outdoors, because they don't care about the weather. They have psycho killers in town. Uh, you can find that on social media, Michael Myers' min, I think. Or find it on all your podcatchers. And if you want to hear social political commentary, like about Jeffrey Tubin and Zoom Dick, or hear more 
fun maybe facts about artists or find new artists maybe you hadn't heard of before, you can listen to Life as a Playlist and follow Life as a Playlist on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Speak out! They can't stop you! Find your voice and use it! Keep this thing going! Pick a name! Go on the air! Your life! Take charge of it! Do it! Try it! Try anything! Fill your guts up! Say shit and fuck a million times if you want to, but you decide! Fill the air! Steal it! Keep the air alive! Follow this show at Pump Up The Minute on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Or check lemmingdrops.com for links. Talk hard! Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it goes